Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. Welcome back to the Screaming Chewy Show, another exciting episode, and I'd like to welcome special guest, host of uh, The Life Radio, Don Smith. How you doing, Don? I'm I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm worn out, but I'm doing good. I, I'm doing stuff that I love. That's This weekend has been about doing my stuff, and I'm exhausted, but happy about it. So. <laughs> yeah, man, you've been putting in that work, man. You've been pretty much podcasting all day, right? Uh, yeah, I think the first one was started at like 11 o'clock this morning, <laughs> and it's, it's what, it, it quarter after eight now, so yeah, I've been going, so I've been doing podcasts since 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs> and this is round two with us, we just recorded an episode yeah. on your show, and uh, yeah. bro, I was laughing my fucking ass off, oh my god, dude. You're uh, I'm, I'm glad, man, I, I, I try to be as, as fun for my guests as I possibly can be, I mean, I, I try to keep my show as laid back as possible, and pretty much free format, so <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you had a good time. Oh, I was fucking rolling, man, like, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell me about yourself, man, tell me about your show. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot to tell about myself. I'm actually on top of the podcast and radio show. I am also an actor, a producer. I am a stand-up comic, and I'm part owner of Wiley's Comedy Club in Dayton, Ohio, which is Dayton, which is Ohio's oldest comedy club. It's been around since 1982, uh, going strong. With uh, we we had we used to have a lot of the big names back in the the ones that are big now. They used to be at Wiley's in the beginning. I mean, we've really? got, uh, oh yeah, we've, we've had, uh, we still have all the signed pictures from them. We have like Ellen DeGeneres up there, you know, what? we have uh, Foxworthy, Gallagher. I mean, all the, all the, all the people that are just would never play a tiny, a tiny club now, but. <laughs> wow. That's some history right there, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful club. It is a very, again, it's a very laid back. It's, it's, it's kind of a comedian's comedy club now. Cause it's not, it's not corporate. It's got that small club feel to it. It's a great place to perform. It really is. I've been, it was actually not really the first place I ever performed stand up. Uh, the first one I ever did was actually tied in through Wright state university because they had a, uh, when I was working to finish my English degree, I went back a little later in life to finish my English degree that I started right out of high school. And uh, they had an English class that was, that was called comedy writing. 
So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, this will be fun. I like to I like comedy. I this this fun stuff. I, I learn how to write it. Well, I get into the class, and it's not really a comedy writing class. It's the basics of stand up comedy. And That's interesting. <laughs> The final exam was a four-minute set at the Dayton Funny Bone. What? Yeah, and it was. (laughs) And it, yeah, it it was a blast. I I loved doing it. I got up, I hit that stage up there, and it. uh, I was scared to death, but once I started going, I felt so comfortable. It just, I loved it. But no, before I go up on stage, I get terrified. It was meant Uh, to be, huh? Yeah, I, well, I, I'm, I've been taken with COVID and everything. I've actually been taking a long break. I haven't been on stage performing comedy since like January. So I'm just, I'm taking a little, I'm taking a little step back. Last year, I, uh, I was, I did a lot last year with it because I've only been performing comedy a little, little over six years now. So I'm still, I'm still a newbie. I'm still a fresh face. You know, I've, I've featured, but that's about as far as I've gotten. I've closed a couple of shows out as kind of a headliner, but not really. But, uh, you know, the last year, I mean, I performed out in, in uh, Illinois, outside of Chicago. I performed uh, uh, several shows over in Indianapolis and just I, I kind of branched out a little more which when you're owning, when you own a club, it's kind of hard to do, (laughs) (laughs) right? kind of hard to get out a lot. But, uh, I I did a lot of shows last year and it really took a lot out of me because I get, I get very personal with a lot of my comedy as far as talking about myself and my life. And there were moments on stage where I didn't know if I was going to just, I didn't know if I was going to get laughs or if I was just going to break down. Oh yeah. It, there were some moments on stage. I got so deeply personal. I'd, I'd get off the stage and I'd head straight to the bar and my hand would be shaking so bad. I couldn't pick up my drink just not because I was nervous about it because I had a great set, but because I was, I, I hit something internally that just kind of shook me. <laughs> wow. You know, I think I learned something about myself. <laughs> yeah. That's, you have those moments up there. And, and I, I had a lot of things going on in my personal life last year that I think comedy helped me deal with and being on stage helped me deal with. And, uh, but yeah, that's, I love doing comedy. I'm just, I'm enjoying the break from it because I have, so much other stuff going on. Of course, the comedy club's always there, and that's with COVID, and we have everything reduced capacity and social distance. It's it's uh, it's still a fun time, but it's a different feel, and there's a lot of extra stuff we have to do. I lean heavily on my general manager, Erica. She is fantastic. I th- that club would not exist without her. <laughs> wow. But yeah, she she's she's phenomenal. She is the best manager we could possibly have asked for in that place. Uh, I, I couldn't do what she does. See, the previous owners were going to shut it down before we bought it. They were just going to close the doors. They'd had enough because it, it's, it was a struggle. It's still a struggle. You know, that's what people ask. You know, are you really struggling at Wiley's? It's like, we've been really struggling for years, this COVID-19 <laughs> stuff. I mean, we're all, we've been doing this forever, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the six. It's the successful bars and restaurants that are hurting now because they're not used to having to scrape by. We're used to having to scrape by. We're this is our home turf, guys. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, basically they were going to close down, and uh, Erica went up to him and said, "Look, can we keep this? 
can we keep the club open? You guys don't really have to be involved in a lot. So long as I, we don't lose money, can I just keep running it? So she basically ran that club by herself for six wow. months before we came along and bought it. So yeah, she is, she is phenomenal. She, she is, uh, she is a wonderful, wonderful person to work with. And you know, but that she, she has saved that club's more, club more times than I can count. <laughs> Damn, but man. yeah that's that, that's the comedy club i mean when i got involved the way i got started with the radio show when i started performing stand-up of course I, I was also working on finishing my degree so i was working a full-time job i was a full-time student i was performing comedy so i didn't have a lot of time to get up on stage so the the university uh, Wright State University had a radio show WWSU they had a radio station and you could get a show if you were a student so I thought okay well I, that might be a fun way bring local comics on just talk about anything have fun have some laughs and nice. I'll make new connections in comedy plus I'll keep the connections I already have so that's what I did. I, I started this radio show up. Uh, my first episode was January of 2014. Wow. And it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get a song to play. I couldn't even get in the door to start the show. I, nobody gave me door codes or told me that I need them, and nobody else was in the studio. The show was like 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. So I'm standing in the hallway with my guest, and I'm looking at the schedule, and nobody's even scheduled to be in till 10 o'clock. <laughs> so I couldn't even get in the door. It was 20 minutes into my end of the time I was supposed to be on the air before I actually got into the studio. And I'm standing there with with <laughs> my first guest ever, was at the time the man the manager of Wiley's. <laughs> oh wow! So yeah, I have a I have a history with Wiley's. It's actually the second time I ever performed comedy was at Wiley's, and it was a you know, great club to perform in. Really is, but uh, we got on the we got on the air and it it was a total disaster. It was, <laughs> and I thought, why am I even doing this? But I had already agreed to do the show that entire semester. So it's like, well, crap, I'm locked in. I have to do this. <laughs> Yo, I guess and, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> yeah, gradually it got better. It got better. It got better. And eventually it just became a lot of fun. And, you know, now I, I, I'm, still, uh, I'm still bummed that I can't get into the studio and I have to record everything at home. But going into that studio, I could have just – because I still work full-time, plus I have the club, plus acting, plus comedy, plus the radio show. I, I keep moving. I, I move a lot, but I could have just a terrible day at work. And as soon as I hit the air for that show, because I'll walk into the studio wanting no part of it. It's like, I don't want to do this show. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm, I'm pissed off. I don't want to do it. But you get me on the air for two or three minutes and I'm having a blast. It's like, this has saved my day. <laughs> definitely. So, it's definitely therapy. Oh yeah. And, uh, but I, I kept that going, uh, in January of 2017, I turned it into the life, uh, podcast. So it's the life radio show and podcast and started putting it out on my own. There's a history with another podcast that I worked with before that I won't get into, <laughs> <laughs> but 
there there's a weird history with me and Wiley's as well because there for a time I was actually banned from performing at Wiley's Comedy Club. Really? Oh no, I, dude. There, there was <laughs> What I did is that, that general manager that was my first guest on my show, there was a conflict between him and the owners at that time. And I sided with him. He got fired. And anybody that knowingly sided with him was banned from the club. Wow, that sucks, bro. I thought you did yeah. something crazy on stage or something. No, no. I was actually, when I started, I was a very clean comic. It was not as much anymore, but I can be if I need to be, but no, I, I don't like being clean just because I don't like, I like to be able to have the freedom to say what's on my mind. To say abortion jokes. <laughs> right. To, to use my abortion jokes and sneak them into clean comedy shows. <laughs> That's some talent, bro. <laughs> but uh, what happened is there was a new, new ownership of the club. Now I had booked uh, one of the, one of the local comics, Karen Jaffe, uh, brilliant comic. She runs Wiley Sunday Comics, which is their weekly open mic. And I had invited Karen onto my show. I'd known Karen for several years. I invited her to come on my show. Well, the, the day before, she had to back out. She had a family emergency. She couldn't do it. So she said, "Well, I'm going to get somebody else for you, so I don't leave you hanging." Which is like, okay, perfect. That's that's fantastic. So the person she got for me was one of the owners of Wiley's Comedy Club, one of the new owners. And he came onto the show, and I'm not going to mention his name because there's other weird history there too. He came on the show, and we really hit it off. And he started being a regular guest. He would be on a couple times a month. And we really got along great. And then it got to a point where the club was needing some extra money because they were kind of, they were, they were strapped. Well, I had happened to have a little bit to throw around at the time that all went away once I bought a club, but, <laughs> but I, I went ahead and I bought in as a partner. And then we found out some things about this guy that kind of basically he had to go. So we ended up finding a way to get him out. And after that, I ended up going from what I was basically a silent partner to, I was now the only partner living in the state of Ohio. Holy shit. So a whole lot of stuff fell on my shoulders that I didn't, I, I still don't quite know how to deal with. It's been almost, actually, it's been three years now. It's been three years since I bought in as a part owner of Wiley's Comedy Club. And uh, I love it, and it has destroyed me. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a love-hate kind of relationship, right? It, it, it is. It is. I, I, I want the club to continue on forever. I'm at the point I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. <laughs> so if anybody's looking to buy a comedy club, hey, let's talk. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful place. I really I really do love it. But man, it it is a lot of stress. Any business is a lot of stress. But comedy, especially right now, uh, even before COVID, I mean, there comedy it's it's a harder sell because you have all these Netflix specials. You have all you know, people don't understand the importance of a live performance anymore they don't they don't have a, as much of appreciation as they used to do because they they figure why should i spend money to go out and watch a show when i can sit in the privacy of my own home in my underwear and, and laugh at netflix so it's it, it it is a tough business to be in uh for comic and club owner and of course 
being both, there's a lot of conflict. It's <laughs> a lot of internal conflict because, you know, sometimes I hate myself, but I'm not going to book me. <laughs> <laughs> if I get mouthy with me one more time, I'm out. <laughs> so are you in the mirror? Don't you talk back to me. <laughs> But no, it, it's uh, I, I do love Wiley's, and we've been able to do a lot of filming in there. I got uh, I had started performing uh, uh, stage plays back in my mid twenties. I started performing theater, and I love theater. That's that's my first that's that's my first love as far as entertainment is theater. I, I love being on stage, uh, performing a play. The problem is, it is such a commitment. I mean, that is several months out of your life where you're there pretty much every night of the week rehearsing and rehearsing and building and rehearsing. And it's just, it takes so much time and it's such a major time commitment that I don't have the time to do. Uh, film's a little bit different. Film, uh, you know, most independent film, you can film a little bit on the weekend. And I tried film in my 20s when I first started out. And back then it was a little different. There weren't as many avenues to get films out there and to get films distributed as there are now. Because now you have all the streaming services. You have uh, Redbox is still a thing. Actually, Six Feet Below Hell movie I was in. Actually, that lasted uh, over two years, uh, rentable on Redbox. Which is phenomenal for an indie, indie horror film about zombies and, and government agents gone bad. But that sounds pretty a, fucking interesting. It was, it was a fun movie. It was goofy as hell. My, I loved my character. Uh, that's the story of how I became Reggie, which was my character in that. Reggie, I was cast as some other character. And the guy that was this independent film, if you're if you're an independent film director or filmmaker, you have to roll with whatever comes at you. Because if you if you stop production because this guy drops out or this guy makes you mad, you're done. You're not going to finish it. Oh wow! And, and oh yeah, because and and when you're working on a deferred payment or a low payment on a micro budget independent film, there are people that just I mean they'll want the part, but then when it comes down to doing the actual work, they just they don't give a crap. They're just like I'm I'm not doing that, and they'll back out last minute. Just so we there was yeah we had somebody else cast as the character of Reggie originally, and uh, the night before he got a hold of the director, it's like 17 hours, not even that, before we're supposed to be on set. And he got a hold of the director and said, dude, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. 17 hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Will, William Lees, who I work with a lot, uh, Cinema Lexicon Productions, love working with him. That's who I worked with all day yesterday. Uh, he, he, he put a post on Facebook in, a, in our group about, you know, I'm going to have to rewrite this and we're going to have to do this. I'm just writing that part out. And I, so I got a hold of him because my, my character wasn't on call for another three weeks. So I got a hold of him. I said, look, I can step in as Reggie and you can recast the character I was supposed to be. You'll have three weeks to recast and you won't have to worry about it. Damn. Because that's independent film. You take what you do, what you have to do to get it done. And it is such a community project that everybody involved has to, has to step out of their role every now and then and do what needs to be done. For example, yesterday, 
uh, I'm a producer on the movie Black Wolf, and I'm also one of the actors in it. Yesterday, I was the sound guy for 14, 12, 13, 14 hours holding the boom. Dude, because we that, needed bro? somebody to do that. <laughs> that sounds exhausting, man. <laughs> holding the, that. Oh, I was up. worn out by the end of the day. By the end of the day, I, I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. My feet were killing me. My knees were shot. My back was out. It was miserable. <laughs> but it's, it's what you do for the things that you love. And it was, I got to set. So he went ahead and agreed. He let me step in as the role of Reggie, which I was cool with that because Reggie was kind of a, uh, <laughs> what I saw of Reggie, he was kind of a really kind of backwards hillbilly, <laughs> but he, I played him with a really sadistic streak to him. <laughs> nice. And we got on the set and it was fun because we got there and of course, the person that was supposed to let us in to this set that we rented, he was passed out drunk inside and didn't get up and let us in. <laughs> what? So not only did we have characters that had actors drop out the night before that we had to step into, we lost our set that morning at eight o'clock in the morning. We all met there. So it's just phone calls and phone calls and phone calls. And finally about uh, nine 30, we get it. We get another location. So we drive over there. We reconvene at the new location about 10 o'clock, two hours after we were supposed to start. <laughs> and the problem is the way the script was written for my scene with Reggie was kind of contingent on some stuff that was inside that other building. So the way the script was written wouldn't play right. Oh. So I ad libbed my entire first scene. We had no script for it. Basically, I was supposed to come in and disable these three bad guys that have my daddy tied up to a chair. And we were looking around for a weapon. These guys have semi-automatic rifles. And I'm supposed to come in as one big dumb hillbilly, and I'm supposed to disable all three of them. Like a badass hillbilly or something. Exactly. So we're looking around thinking, you know, we've got all these prop weapons sitting out there. We've got guns. We've got big swords. And they're all looking through trying to find what. Well, we were filming in somebody's house. And for some reason, they had a croquet mallet leaning against the wall. And I was like, ah, I found my weapon. <laughs> so Reggie's introduction into the film, he comes in swinging this croquet mallet and takes out these three well-armed guys. <laughs> Hey, at least it wasn't a corn on the cob, right? Fucking <laughs> corn holding. <laughs> nope. But later on, that's that's when I get sadistic. Is we're going we, now that it goes to a new scene, and these three guys are tied up in the chairs instead of my daddy, and we're getting ready to cut them up. But yeah. they've got they've got these wounds on them from this the, this mallet. So I'm kind of giggling and poking at them. Hurts, <laughs> don't it? It's kind of this sadistic redneck just poking at their wounds and laughing at them and getting right up in their face and then i gotta go get the big knife daddy says get the big knife we gotta cut them up and then oh, I <laughs> fuck bro that sounds pretty fucking crazy oh it was so much fun but here's the cool thing is reggie i'm not this is a bit of a spoiler but this movie's been out for over three years now uh reggie was supposed to be killed in oh. the next scene he gets attacked by the zombies and he's supposed to be killed but after we had so much fun ad-libbing that first scene the director rewrote the script and brought reggie back at the end to take out two of the main bad guys <laughs> oh, <dude>. surprise <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and, and I developed a theory because zombies are always after brains, and Reggie didn't have enough to to, to do anything for him, so he just assumed he was. They, they just assumed he was a zombie too. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, y'all, they like me. <laughs> it's my friends." Yeah, but yeah, it's it's independent film is so crazy to work on because and I love stories like that, stories of weird things that happen on set. I love stories about working on horror movies and having to drive home covered in blood. Oh, you that's know? the best right there. I love that. That's sick stuff, man. It's, especially oh, yeah. when they're covered in blood and like you were saying, covered in blood driving home. Like that shows like you're a fucking survivor, yo. You, you went through some shit right there. Mm-hmm. One of our guys I work with on, uh, on Six Feet Below Hell, uh, Doug Whitlatch, he was, he did, they did all of his makeup real good and he was driving home and apparently he passed somebody that took down his license plate number and reported him to the police because he was dry. He was covered in <laughs> fake blood and all these cuts and things on his face. And by the time he got home, the police were in his driveway questioning his wife about her husband's whereabouts. <laughs> oh my God. Then he pulls up like that. Like, Hey guys, <laughs> I, I brought, I brought dinner. <laughs> exactly it's like what the hell because <laughs> that's that's the funny thing is i i'm worried sometimes if i get pulled over and they decide to search my car because i still have like props in the back i got blood i got fake blood soaked clothes in the back of my car right now with these muddy boots and a shovel and it's like what have you been doing <laughs> it's like if they're gonna be a lot of questions but no i, I love stuff there was one uh Boggy Creek, the Bigfoot series, which you can actually see on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, episode two, I, uh, I'm i a featured lead, and at one point I fall, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poacher. I'm setting traps up out, and I get, uh, I get accosted by Bigfoot. Well, I had fallen in the, in the movie, and I get one of my bear traps clamped on my hand. Ooh. So I have all this fake blood all over my hand, and I'm rolling around in the dirt, you know, every the mud, it was cold as hell that day. There was frost and snow, and I'm rolling around in it with this fake blood all over my hand. Well, I get home after filming this, and my wife wants to go out to dinner. <laughs> and she wants to go somewhere nice. I'm like, oh, crap. All right. So I hop in the shower real quick. I get dressed up, put on a suit. We go to this uh, this nice family, family-owned Italian restaurant. I can't even remember the name of it. Real nice place. And I walk in and I've got this long black trench coat because it's winter time. And that's just, I have a wool trench coat that I wear because I, I love it. And I'm wearing a suit and I look down, I notice I didn't get all the fake blood off my hand when I took a shower real quick. So I'm like, oh crap. I was like, I'll be, we're waiting to get a table. So I said, if we get a table, I'll be right back. So I go into the men's room to wash this blood off my hand. So here I am, I'm not a small guy. I'm wearing this nice suit. I got this long black coat. And I'm washing blood off my hand in the men's room sink. The door opens behind me and I look up in the mirror and this guy looks at me, looks down at my hand, looks back up at me in the mirror. And I just nod at him real quick. He turns around, closes the door and leaves. (laughs) He's like, I'm not dealing with this shit. I saw nothing. Because <laughs> it's, it's an Italian restaurant of all things. It's like, oh, somebody just got whacked. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I, I, I just I hope that this guy went out and grabbed his wife and said, we got to get the hell out of here now. I don't know what's going down, but I don't want to be any part of it. <laughs> Somebody swimming with the fishes. <laughs> you just you should have said, like, oh, do I got marinara sauce all over yeah. me? <laughs> no, I, I like the idea that we just – I never, I never cracked a smile. I never said a word. I just looked at him as stern as can be and <laughs> nodded in the mirror, and he turned around and left. <laughs> I was playing it up because I thought it was funny. <laughs> it, it was understood, even though yep. not a word was spoken. <laughs> yeah, stuff. That's that's the stuff I love about doing independent film is the weird stories you get out of it like that. And, you know, he's probably out there right now still telling that story to people he knows, like, yo, dude, I went to this Italian restaurant. I saw a mobster cleaning blood. <laughs> he's cleaning blood off his fist. His knuckles were covered in this. I don't know what the hell happened. Yeah. I was... <laughs> he's all watching Goodfellas and Casino. He's like, I witnessed yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff's real. It happened in Dayton. I saw it. <laughs> I just hope they don't recognize me. <laughs> he probably thinks he's got a hit out on him. He probably moved out of state. He's living in a cabin in Colorado right now. <laughs> paranoid. The they're, they're gang stalking me. The Italians, they're after me. Yeah. He went in the witness, bro witness protection program. Nobody knows. <laughs> His wife and kids don't know what happened to him. He just left. <laughs> I ruined a family and didn't even know it all because of some silly movie. <laughs> the kids on dad said he went to get cigarettes and he never came back. Oh, but yeah, that's, that's the, that's the fun stuff I do and the fun stuff I do on the life. Of course you were just on there. And one of the things that has become popular on my show apparently is my news segments because I'm also, I'm, I'm now part of the uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall podcast with uh, Christopher Stolle, Chris Rudder, uh, Colin Washburn, and Serenity Stone, which I love the name Serenity Stone. It just, it sounds like something like the, like the Infinity Gauntlet. Hey, that's not <laughs> for real. It's, it's an enhance, the Serenity Stone is an enhancement to the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> Anybody that gets both rules the world. <laughs> and you get inner peace. Right, exactly. Yes, yeah. serenity and all-knowing power. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that's possible to have both. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, all-knowing power. There is nothing serene about that because there's that's, some crap going on. <laughs> that's very fucking true, man. <laughs> but on the breaking the fourth wall podcast, I started doing the uh, we call it the news buffet, and it's the news buffet because you know it may not be very good, but there's a lot of it. <laughs> That's a very good way to put it, bro. That's that's perfect, actually. So I do the news buffet on that show, and every now and then, uh, Patrick, who is my producer of the Life Radio Show when we're in the actual live air studio, he does the WWSU morning show. So he's invited me on a couple times to do the Freaky Friday news segment. So I have somehow become the wacky news guy now. So I did, after we did our, after you just did my show, we came back on here, I found a story that I don't know how I missed. Oh, I love it already. That I just have to share with you. Please share it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, are a lot, there are a lot of facets to this that are fascinating to me. A man remarkably escaped unharmed after he tried to swat a fly and his house blew up. 
<laughs> the man who was in his 80s was about to settle down for a bite to eat on Friday when he heard a buzzing. Unable to concentrate on his food, the Frenchman uh, grabbed an electric fly swatter. <laughs> he took aim at the infuriating insect only for <laughs> the air around him to erupt. A gas canister in his Dordogne home was leaking. The gas vapor reacted with the electric, electronic racket and sparked a fierce explosion. The blast was big enough to destroy the kitchen and part of the roof in his uh, Parc al village home. Uh, somehow, the elderly man escaped from the uh, shocking incident with just a burn on his hand. What? The victim was transported to, transported to Le Bourne, uh, Hospital for checkups. Uh, the man was checked into a local campsite <laughs> while his family <laughs> repair the home. <laughs> just send Grandpa camping. He can't blow shit up that way. Mars. <laughs> now, now, here's something I found fascinating in this article. It says, incidents of people exploding themselves or their surroundings are fairly common. I got a good idea. I might get hungry later, baby. Hold this hot dog for me. <laughs> That's what it feels like when you're broke down. Oh, yeah. See, this is why when I transport weed, I only carry one gram on me, but I carry it in a, like an 800 pound safe. We are Happy Hour News Team. Follow us. We love Florida, man. They say they're gold damaged. Damage. They're gold damaged goods. Damage goods. Damage goods. Oh, so we talk cars. Shooby dooby doo. Am I? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, if you don't, if you don't know where you're at, oh, I know where I'm at. Oh, but you just said, where am I? Well, I was trying to like. <laughs> no, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> Fuck, there's a microphone. Big yellow truck driving away. I think you've had too much <laughs> We are happy our news We are happy our news You can't We are Happy Hour News Team. Follow us. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back around to to our regular regularly scheduled bullshit. <laughs> what is the most dangerous book you have ever read? How about Mein Kampf by the notorious leader of the Nazis, Adolf Hitler? Or the book the Beatles warn us about in their classic song, Revolution. Quotations from Chinese Communist leader, Chairman Mao. Maybe you would hide your copy of Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. Or even semi-fictional works like Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses. That book had him living in hiding from angry Muhammad followers. But what about a book that is most likely not only dangerous to own and read, but could very well be illegal in many countries? Roderick Edwards' book, How to Overthrow Our Government, 
takes the reader on a historical and hypothetical journey of revolutions, civil war, and sedition. From ancient Chinese farmers turning their farm tools into weapons, to the attempted impeachment of the U.S. President Trump. This book has it all. Get it today before it's banned forever. Hey, so I'm sure you've noticed I've been getting a lot more celebrity guests on my show. And this is all thanks to Steve Joyner. He's a publicist. And man, this guy takes his work seriously. He does not fuck around. And this guy is keeping me busy, yo. He, yeah, I'm just getting so many celebrity guests. Thank you so much, Steve Joyner. And um, if you yourself are an actor, director, producer, and you are looking for a uh, publicist, do not hesitate to contact Steve, right? He is a really cool guy. You'll love him, okay? His phone number is 816-605-4561. Or if you would like to email him, it's uh, all one word, starts with a capital S. And it's stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. So again, starts with a capital S. And then it's T-E-V-E-S-J-N-E-T-W-O-R-K at gmail.com. Tell him Screamy Chewy sent you. You will not be disappointed. And uh, yeah, so big shout out to you, Steve. Thanks again, bro. Peace. Hey, you. Yeah, you over there. Do you like paranormal stuff? You like abandoned places? You like to like go check out some historical stuff? Maybe you like food. Maybe you like good music. I don't like Black Flag or maybe Black Sabbath. Well, we do too. So come check us out at Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. That's Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. Peace. Really? In 2017, Alexander uh, Sasha Chechik accidentally killed himself as he took pictures in his car with a grenade with the pin removed. <laughs> that was his the, last selfie. <laughs> yeah, the grenade exploded, killing the 26-year-old Russian instantly. It was believed that Chechik was taking pictures with a deadly device to impress his friends. <laughs> hey, guys, check it out. Pow! <laughs> Yep. Look what I got. <laughs> if, if one of my friends all of a sudden said, check it out, dude, look what I got, and he exploded, I think I would just wait there and be like, is this a magic trick? Is he going to, like, come back out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's just a... Uh, don't take selfies with devices that can explode. And if there's a gas leak, put down the electronic fly swatter. The fly is not that important. Just get out of the house, report the gas leak. The fly will get blown up. <laughs> Imagine, like, at the obituary, his, his picture right there at the ceremony is him with a grenade. Like, <laughs> how yeah, he died? <laughs> it was his last selfie. <laughs> he loved things like that. His social media page just blew up after that one. <laughs> Bro, you know yeah. vodka would He posted evolve. that to TikTok, 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 TikTok. <laughs> People are like, wow, that's some good special effects. Yeah, like, that's oh. amazing. <laughs> Just 
blew me away with that one. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's a little taste of the uh, of the news stories that I do on my show. And the the old man that exploded with the fly sweater. You you think he like tells people like you better watch out for them exploding flies? And they're like, what are you talking about? I've been there, man. He's talking yeah. like he was in Nam. I hear a fly yeah. exploding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mur- from murder hornets to grenade flies. That's what. <laughs> They're like fucking suicide bombers, yo, and going kamikaze. Oh. Yeah, he, he got done with that. He walked out and said, I told you I'd get you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I survived, Matt. I survived, Matt. I survived this. <laughs> yeah, them flyers ain't, ain't, ain't taking me out that easy. <laughs> <laughs> And here's the bad thing. They sent him to a campsite where you know there are going to be flies and mosquitoes. (laughs) That poor son of a bitch can't win. (laughs) In the next news story, he was swatting at a fly and fell into the fire pit. (laughs) And still survives. (laughs) He's still still going just a little bit more charred. Someone at the campsite trying to sort of play. He's like, don't do it. It's going to explode. <laughs> don't you touch that fly. He jumps on it and covers it like it's a grenade. <laughs> fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that's why I can't believe I missed this story in our last <laughs> when we were recording my show. <laughs> kind of glad I saved it for yours, though. <laughs> Oh, man, that was fucking awesome, dude. What's scary is that it said that it's often for people to blow themselves up. Yeah, what, what, was, the, what was the statement on here? Uh, incidents of people exploding themselves or their surroundings are fairly common. <laughs> <laughs> you would think, you know, this, this, was in Fr- this was in France. Now, I would think people blowing themselves up is more of an American thing, honestly. Very Fourth of July ish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. That's those French. Always, always coming up new ways of smoke. Oh, my God, dude. You do amazing news stories. Um, oh, they're so much fun. <laughs> and for those of you guys, uh, for the, those of you guys listening right now, definitely tune in to the Life Podcast or Radio Show, because uh, I mean, just the last episode <laughs> they were fucking rolling on just the news stories he was talking about on there, and yeah. um, and so was, so many of these I don't I don't pull these up ahead of time. I mean, this, this one, I just, I happened to look at it shortly after our show was done because it popped up somewhere on my feed and I was like, holy crap. And I read over it real quick and I was like, I got to share that with you. <laughs> I'm glad you but, did. I was fucking rolling. But you, usually I, I don't look at any of these beforehand. I, I like see a headline and be like, all right, I might click on that one when I go live or when I do the show, I might look at that one, but I don't usually read them. So when I'm going over these things, it's fresh to me too. So it's, it's not like I have any kind of, I, I like to be on the, on an even keel with my guests going into the news stories. That way their, their jokes and my jokes, you know, they'll both be organic. And that's, 
that's what I love about doing the show live and what I love about doing the show with a live feel is it's just, I try to keep it as organic as possible rather than doing material on it. Because I, I have a lot of comics on the show and I, I can always tell when somebody's trying to do material or trying to pass a joke off as something spontaneous that just came up with. It never works. It's not as funny. <laughs> That's why I, I love trying to keep it organic though. Do you do the same with your comedy, like with your stand-up comedy and stuff? Oh, no. I have most of that written out ahead of time. Because stand-up comedy is such a different animal. Going up on stage without things already in your head. I mean, you can do crowd work. It's risky. You always have to have material backing it up. You have to have some good, well-written material to back up what you're doing on stage. I don't do a lot of crowd work just because I'm not as comfortable with it as some people are. I like to have, <clears throat> I like to have my stuff pre-written out. So I know what I'm talking about. Uh, crowd work can be fun. I have gone on stage, especially in the last year with all the stuff I've been going through. We were talking about it being kind of therapeutic. Uh, I went on stage one night. I had no jokes written. I had a notebook with some thoughts I had that day about things I was currently going through that basically happened that day or the night before. And I just had notes jotted down that I wanted to talk about. I didn't really have any jokes, just notes. And oh, wow. I went up there. That's, that's one of the first times I really touched deep. I mean, it ended up being a great set. I was just, there was so much anger and feeling in it that, I think that's why it became a great set is because people could tell that this was organic. This was stuff I was going through. And to me, the more honest comedy is, the more real it is, the better it is. Even if, even if it's not quite as funny as some well thought out, well conceived joke to be able to kind of riff on yourself and dig deep and find something, find something to laugh about in the pain you're currently feeling. <laughs> And that's, that's what I did that night. And then I, I got to where I'd go up to open mics and I would do that every now and then I'd go up with just some notes that I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. And that became a new fun outlet. But usually if I'm going up on stage, especially a professional show where I'm being paid or if I'm hosting a gig, I'm going to go up there with prepared material and stick to that as much as possible. You know, I, I've thought of doing um, stand-up, but I don't know if I'll... I mean, I could make my friends laugh and people laugh, but, like, stand-up, that's just totally different, you know? A whole crowd, I, I'd be so fucking nervous, man. Oh, my it's, God. It's a strange animal. It really is. I mean, I I love it, but there are some times that it scares me to death. Uh, one of the One of the better shows I've ever had I was so terrified about going up because I was still fairly new. I was maybe, maybe a couple years in and every, every season comic will tell you if you're starting out, just work on your solid five. You want that, you want that five minutes solid and then you add to it till it's 10 minutes solid. And nice. you take, you take a 25 minute set and 25 minutes of jokes and you condense that down to five solid minutes of what works well. And you keep doing that and doing that and doing that. I get bored to death. <laughs> <laughs> so I, even when I first started, I was getting the same advice, but I would do, you know, maybe four or five shows where I do the same material. And then I would do a whole brand new set. 
because to me doing the whole the brand new stuff was exciting because you didn't know if it was going to work that's where you get the adrenaline rush if you have five minutes that you've worked on for six months and it's solid you know you're going to get a laugh it's going that is terrifying and so much fun but this particular show was at the Dayton Funny Bone back when they did some back when they allowed local comics on their stage. <sighs> but <laughs> I, I went up and the whole night was weird. I had brand new material. I was going to do an entirely brand new set. And there was a friend of mine that I respected as a comic, but he'd been doing it about a year longer than me. And he was going to do a brand new set, too. Well, he went up before I did, like two, three minutes, two, two or three comics before I went up, and he chickened out. Oh, I mean, it, it was there was like three hundred people in this room. I mean, it was a big crowd for a mic, and he chickened out because of the size of the crowd, and he didn't do any of his new stuff. He just stuck with the same same stuff he was always doing. So that immediately made me more nervous because I'm going up with stuff that's completely untested. He played it safe, and <laughs> yeah, you're, you're taking a big risk. <clears throat> yeah, and. uh I'm standing off in the wings getting ready to go up because I'm the next comic. And the person running the show comes up to me and says, hey, I have a late entry. Is it okay if he goes up before you because he has to leave? And I'm already a nervous wreck. So I'm like, yeah, fine, you know, send him up, you know, because I'm thinking that the comic that was up there was doing pretty well. And if you're doing all brand new stuff, you follow somebody that's doing really well, you might fall flat on your face in a heartbeat. Well, this guy goes up before me. <laughs> he was blind and had one arm. And he had that sounds a funny already. <laughs> and the dude was fucking hilarious. I mean, he was destroying that crowd. Holy shit. And I'm sitting off the side with all this brand new stuff thinking, I am dead. There is no way. If the person hosting that show would have walked by me at that minute, I would have grabbed her and said, look, I'm done. I can't do this. You'll have to send somebody else up. I can't do that. That's, that's the, that's how much panic I was feeling at that moment. Moment. You know, I got outstaged by a blind man with one arm. Oh, he was, he was brilliant. <laughs> and I got on stage and I started hitting that new material and it was hitting solid. I mean, it was hitting big. And once that started, it was just, that's still one of the, best reactions from material I've ever had. It, it just, every bit of that, that night hit. And that was, that was a weird experience, but yeah, that terror before I go on stage, especially with brand new stuff, it, it, it can be crippling because I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not naturally a public speaker. Oh, damn. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of nerves before I go to do anything. Even, even the podcast I've been doing, I've been doing a radio show for almost six years and I still, before I go on the air, there's that, there's that, those butterflies and those nerves that still hit me. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing, but that's part of the fun is being able to overcome that and do it anyway. Wow, just uh, <laughs> just put everything aside and say, fuck it, we're doing this, it's happening. Yep. <laughs> is there, is there but, anything you, you do to, like, psych yourself up or just to get ready to go on stage? Uh, there for a while, I, I just, I jump up and down. I try to get my energy going because I, I'm a fairly high-energy comic, and especially in the past couple of years, I've been going up with a lot of angry energy. Oh, nice. Just because of the things going on, there's a lot pin up and uh that's that's one of the reasons i've been taking a break since january it's not just because of covid it's just because 
it was getting to a point where I would go up with so much anger and so much frustration that it, it would affect me for days. You and know, I would just be in a terrible mood for days after shows. Is that without cocaine and alcohol? Uh, without cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Never done cocaine. I still love my vodka. But no, I, I uh, there, it just, it had gotten to be where it was too much. It was taking too much out of me to go up with that much anger and that much feeling to where I had to back off a little bit and try to, try to either come up with something, some new way of getting it out of my system. But at the same time, that, that energy I put out on stage has kept me from having to deal with a lot of hecklers. <laughs> oh, nice. Nobody wants to really heckle the strange, angry guy. You know? <laughs> no, I'm fucking with that guy. He'll beat the shit out of me. There, there was a show I did down in Franklin, Ohio. It was a Franklin Tavern. Ended up being a really great show. And it was a nice audience. They, they weren't being unfriendly, they weren't, but they wanted to talk to everybody. They wanted to talk to all the comics while they were on stage. They wanted to treat it as a conversation rather than a show. I'm not a fan of that. It's like I have my material. That's what you're going to listen to. I don't want to talk to you and find out about your day. I don't give a shit. I'm telling you about mine. <laughs> nice. <You know? laughs> so I was like the fourth comic going up. Well, every comic before me, ended up abandoning their material, their prepared, prepared material to basically fight back, fight off this audience with their questions. Cause they kept asking them questions. Like every joke they tried to tell, they'd give a setup and be like, is that one so-and-so? And the, the whole time. And I went up there, I got one question and I can't even remember what I fired back, but I fired back a really kind of, it wasn't hurtful. It was funny, but it was a real quick dig at the guy. And then I just came off with that angry, hostile energy. And they were laughing. They were having a good time, but nobody else wanted to talk to me while I was up there. They just, okay, let's let him do his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good tactic, bro. They're like, <laughs> leave that guy alone. We'll move on to the next comic and make fun yeah. of him. <laughs> yeah, and, and they did. The next comic that went up, they started talking again. But with wow. me, they sat there and laughed at my material, and they didn't bother me. <laughs> you probably do well in prison, bro. Probably nobody would fuck with you. So I, hope I, I hope I never have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Become a mob boss, washing your hands with blood on the scene. Right <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been a zombie several times. I've been a mob boss. I've been... <laughs> I've been one, to, one of the first movies I was in with William Lee. It was so terrible. Uh, I mean, I love the movie. I love being part of it. I love the cast and crew. The part that he had me play, uh, <laughs> I had to develop my own backstory just to be okay with playing that part because he wanted me to be a Mexican gangster. I am not Mexican. So they've got this crappy tan on me, and it's like, dude, I'm basically playing blackface. <laughs> I don't fucking like this. You're doing brownface. So <laughs> it was brownface. I developed my own backstory just so I could just so I could get through it. And that backstory was, I was part of an Italian mafia family that rolled over on somebody and had to go into witness protection. And while I was in witness protection, I missed the mob world so much that I got involved with the Mexican mafia and had to change my name and fake who I was. That's the only way I could play that play that part Bro, and not hate good, myself. That's a good background story, man. 
Because think about it, if you're in the mafia all this time and you have to go into witness protection, you're going to be bored to death. <laughs> I miss killing them people. Exactly. So that's that was that was how I was able to cope with basically being forced into playing brownface. I was like, oh, this is wrong. This is fucking wrong. <laughs> did, did you have to like speak Spanish or say like, orale ese? Oh, terrible shit like that. Yeah. I was like, when he, really? Now here's here's one of the funny parts is one of the guys <laughs> one of the guys that was playing off uh, opposite me in that was uh he wasn't Mexican but he was Hispanic. His accent was way worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and mine was bad enough, but his was like, really, dude? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, man? I'm a white dude and I'm doing better. <laughs> But yeah, that that was 3D Deep, which I think they just recently re-released that titled King Killer. But yeah, that was, oh, nice. that was <laughs> if you want to check that gem out. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, dude, I'm a guilty pleasure for movies like that. Oh yeah, yeah. you'll love it because there are parts where I turn my head and you can see how white my neck is. <laughs> it's like with the makeup person forgot I had a neck and ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god wow yeah <laughs> sounds like a worse tan than our, than our president bro just a little bit <laughs> yeah looking back at it now it was a little trumpish <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the reason trump does that he's trying to court the mexican voters <laughs> so you, you bro <laughs> <laughs> He, he saw your movie. He's like, build a wall. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I can make I can make Mexico pay for it. They think I'm one of them. <laughs> oh my god! He goes to the Mexican president. Hey, you gonna pay for the wall? Hey, and- pasa. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Oh, uh, so yeah, there. I have a bunch of movies out there, and that's that's yeah. Play, playing a Mexican gangster is by far one of the weirdest things I had to do. To where I had to develop a backstory to be okay with it. Now I've played Russian gangsters before, and I'm cool with that. You know, I drink. You drink enough vodka, you're going to speak with a Russian accent anyway, <laughs> right? Or take a selfie with a grenade. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't drank that enough vodka to do that yet, but you know, who knows? The night's young. <laughs> Tomorrow news yeah. man exploded after yeah, doing podcaster podcast. explodes. <laughs> He's doing a live feed with a live grenade <laughs> and a fly swatter for some weird weird reason. I couldn't figure that shit out. <laughs> for real, I feel bad for that old man, dude. He's probably traumatized by flies. Oh. <laughs> He's got got fly PTSD. You know, when they fly low by you, he's like, "Ah!" (laughs) Not again! (laughs) The rest of his life, he's going to be running. Where's Grandpa? He's hiding from the flies again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's he's just going to wear a bee suit everywhere he goes. (laughs) A little beekeeper suit with a net. Keep the flies off of him. It's a bad mixture when they land on me. <laughs> they asked the grandpa, oh, so you're a beekeeper? He's like, sit down, boy. 
I got to tell you a story <laughs> about flies. Yeah, you're never going to believe this. Everything you've ever heard about flies before was totally untrue. They will blow you the fuck up. <laughs> never trust them. Never trust a fly. <sighs> you ever heard of lightning bugs? <laughs> they ain't got nothing on these. <laughs> on C4 flies. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I've heard of fireflies before, but goddamn. <laughs> They start coming out with conspiracies that a bunch of flies hit the Twin Towers or some shit. (laughs) The government, they they trained the flies. There's no way that 767 had enough jet fuel to take those towers down. It was the flies. They hit the flies when they hit the building, and it blew the whole place to smithereens. (laughs) Alex Jones, the government, they they weaponized the flies. (laughs) I can see that. I mean, he was already talking about gay frogs. Why not exploding flies? (laughs) For real, he said, like, the, you know, um, I was uh, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about Alex Jones. He was talking about that. And it turns out it, it came out to be true that the chemical and the pesticides was making frogs gay or, or changing their gender. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Transgender frogs. <laughs> yeah, he identifies as a male. It's. It's not easy being green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a gold I, thing. I, right there. I'm, al- I'm already fucking a pig. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's an awesome impersonation, man. That's really good. Oh, man. <laughs> I would love to see a skit where the pesticides got on Kermit the Frog and he turned gay or something. Oh, that yeah, it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Kermit. <laughs> What happened to your penis? <laughs> it's a it's it's a vagina now. <laughs> oh, I I'm not good at those anymore. <laughs> I love it, man. Wow. Oh man. So what what's next, man? What do you plan on uh, on um the life radio podcast, movies, anything? Oh well, we're filming Black Wolf right now. I'm uh, I'm a producer on that as well as one of the actors and apparently sound guy now. <laughs> but yeah, we're uh, we're filming that now. We've got several more weeks left of filming. Uh, hoping that'll be out soon. Uh, from what I've been told, we have a bigger deal on this one than we've had on some of the previous ones because uh, William Lee's been doing these for forty some years. The dude knows what he's doing, and he gets his stuff out there quick because <laughs> like i said independent film you got to roll with it whatever happens you just got to keep going or you're never going to get it made and he, he really he really does them. he tears them up i have another one coming up that i'm co-producing and co-starring in uh we're still in pre-production right now it's called uh, red white and black uh, you can go to facebook for uh, red white and black the movie i think and give us a like on there but uh, the life radio show we have uh every whew, Sunday, Tuesday, and Friday, brand new episode comes out. And every Thursday, we have a throwback to several years ago. So you can hear how bad I really was back in the day. <laughs> Man, we're, but, we're... Uh, even, even those are still fun. A couple weeks ago, I released, uh, I re-released, a, a, I released a throwback episode called The Fried Ice Cream Bicycle. Uh, Andy Bowman was a local comic a couple years back that is no longer in the Dayton comedy scene. He had a lot of, he had some trouble with drugs. He had some trouble with the law. He has cleaned his life. I spoke to him recently. He's cleaned his life up a lot and he's doing a lot better, but he's no longer uh, performing comedy. 
in the area. But when he was, uh, I always liked him. I always got along with him. I had him on my show a couple times. Uh, the first time he was ever on my show, he was talking about the time that he got uh, extremely drunk and high, and he decided it was going to be a good investment to buy this bicycle for $2,000, which was an ice cream bicycle. It had one of the big ice cream coolers, oh. so he could ride around in the summer in parks, and he could sell ice cream from his bicycle. Never did anything with it. Uh, <laughs> When he gets out of jail, <laughs> he got, this is shortly after he got out of jail. He came back on the show, and I had asked him, you know, it's like, well, last time you were here, Andy, we were trying to sell uh, your ice cream bicycle. Have you had any luck with that? And apparently <laughs> the garage where it was stored in burned down and destroyed his ice cream bicycle. So he can't, oh. he couldn't, he's, he's just out two grand and he could, cause the thing is when he bought it, he didn't even remember doing it the next day. He just wondered why his credit card was maxed out. Holy <laughs> shit. And it finally saw it showed up and he's like, what the fuck is this? That's, that's right. what happens when you're drunk on Amazon. Bro. So yeah, it's well, that's that's fun to do that, but not with something that, that costs that much. It's fun every now and then to get a package from Amazon. I don't remember ordering ordering this. Oh, there you go. Herbert slippers. Honestly, with the bicycle, the ice cream bicycle, I would just do brown face and be like paletas with a little bell, ding ding ding, paletas. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Andy was a lot of fun. That's a, that's a fun episode. If you want to go back to a throwback from several years ago, uh, check out the fried ice cream bicycle on the life one Oh six, nine. Uh, but yeah, you, you can follow us everywhere. We have, I'm always having movies coming out. Uh, this past uh, couple of months, uh, they re-released, um, or they released rather uh, black Mamba. They released the horror movie I was in called the Goocher. Uh, they released, uh, 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 burning down Babylon is one I'm proud of. That's a, oh, wow. we, we made that a couple years ago. The original title was Magnus X and then it became straight out of hate. And it was basically the gist of that movie is there's a, uh, there's a group of vigilantes that have a list of corrupt police officers. So they decide that one by one, they're going to stake, start taking out these corrupt police officers and get them out of the force. Well, while they're doing this, there are these protests going on that start seeing these police officers getting killed. So they decide it's open season. And eventually these two groups come head to head because the one's doing something that even though it's vigilantism, they still see it as legit. And this other group's just coming along killing even good cops. And it's, it's amazingly, this was made like three, three and a half years ago. Redbox was terrified of it. They, they, they put it, they did a limited release for like three days and they pulled it wow. because they, because of the subject matter. And to me, it was important to watch and it, it's, it still is. And it's still extremely relevant. Yeah. Especially so, nowadays, 2020 yeah. bro. Yeah. Yeah, well, at the time this one came out, this this was originally released around the time of the last big uh, uh, race riots. With like, oh, there have been so many, I can't even remember. Who <laughs> right. Was. Yeah, it, and it's a fucking shame. But you know, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's it's a very relevant movie and very well made for what it is. It's it's almost like a found footage type, but it it is it is a really really. Uh, 
powerful film. I and what's think. that one called again? Uh, Burning Down Babylon. Burning Down Babylon. Definitely yeah. going to have to check that out. Yeah, that one that one was very interesting. And I did my own stunts in that. There's one part where I fall on my ass as I'm running, and that <laughs> was not planned. <laughs> I'm in a suit and tie. I'm one of the cops. I'm in a suit and tie. And I take off running after somebody, and there's snow on the ground. We're out in this alley, and I've got dress shoes on. Dress shoes and snow don't go well together, especially when you're trying to run after somebody. So I hit this patch of snow, and I basically, I'm going to go down. So the only thing I can think to do is I tuck and roll, and I try to jump back up. Well, I did that, and I jumped back up, hit another patch of snow, and did it again. So I rolled over, and I, I, I end on the side of this building, and I look up at the guy that's my partner that's just looking at me like, and none of this was planned. He's just looking at me like this. I'm like, what the fuck you want? Go get him. <laughs> and I think that whole part stayed in the film. <laughs> oh, that's fucking great, dude. Now that's improv right there. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's uh, th there are a lot of movies coming out. Uh, Buttons is a short film I was in recently with uh, director Eric Andreessen, that I think that's how he pronounces it. But it's uh, it made the rounds uh, through the I think it's still going through some of the uh, short film circuits and the the festival circuits. It was a uh, semi semi finalist in both Stage Thirty Two Film Festival and uh, Top Shorts Film Festival which I'm proud of that because it's, it's, it's a really, it's not my typical type of movie that I'm in where we're either shooting people or there's a bunch of zombies running around, but it's a, it's a very well-made, very uh, uh, wonderfully sweet little uh, Thanksgiving story. So, <laughs> and you nice. can find that on YouTube right now. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on. There's always a lot of moving parts. If you're in the Dayton area or in the uh, southwestern Ohio area and you feel like a laugh, Wiley's Comedy Club is open every Friday and Saturday this week. <laughs> I'm not sure when this show comes out, Chewy. Uh, probably next Friday. Next Friday? Okay. So next Friday. Th this Friday this Friday and Saturday we have the Clam Jam, which is fun to talk about. It's all female comics. Nice. I didn't give it, I I like didn't that, give name. It that name. <laughs> One of the female comics did, but no, uh, the, the weekend that this comes out, uh, who do we have? Who do we have? Uh, oh, I believe it's, it's Mike Merck and, uh, Gary Garcia and Terry McNeely will be at the club. So, uh, they're, they're, they're three funny guys from New York city. They're a lot of fun. So if you're in the area, get out to Wiley's, go to Wiley's comedy.com and check us out. Other than that, you can like, like I said, you can find me on uh, Facebook at uh, the Life 1069. You can find me at Twitter at Don Smith Comedy. Uh, the Life 1069.com does exist. It's very outdated, and I'm working on getting that updated. This hasn't been a, a, a good weekend for doing that. <laughs> You're a busy guy, man. You do a uh, yeah, lot. Yeah, there's. I you you can hopefully see me all over the place, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you definitely are. Uh... Definitely an entertainer. I mean, and that's just like, you know, I mean, you do a lot, bro. You're, you're fucking funny as fuck, man. You know, comedy, you have a comedy club, movies, podcast, radio. Man, I don't know how you do it. And working full time, bro. That's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some and, passion. And, and I'm one of those essential employees. I got no time off during COVID because I, uh, I'm. In, in the real world, I'm a uh, HVAC tech electrician and plumber, and I do maintenance work at uh, a lot of the local medical facilities. So, yeah, oh, I, wow. I got no time. I got no time off, and I was right there on the front lines with the doctors and nurses. So, 
hopefully I won't catch the COVID. <laughs> hopefully, like five years from now, you see an infomercial. Were you working during COVID? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll happen. That'll happen. It's like, yep, get me in on that class action because, yeah, they owe me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Well, thanks again for coming on, man. I had so much fun. Hey, thanks for having me. I did too, man. I'm, I'm glad I got to share some news on your story as well, on your show as well. Cause I, I fucking love those news, <laughs> bro. That was, so, that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot for having me on, man, and thanks for being on the life. It was it was it was a great time. It's been a it's been a long day of podcasting, and uh, fortunately, we got to end it with a really fun show, and I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Back at you, bro. All right, man. Well, you have a good one. Yep, you too. Thanks a lot. We'll catch you later. Peace. everyone thanks for tuning in and if you'd like to support this podcast you can find me at anchor.fm slash screaming chewy gmail.com there'll be three options for a monthly subscription first one i believe starts at a dollar a month yo yeah dollar a month yeah and if you don't want to that's cool you can follow me on facebook and youtube screaming chewy show for some memes some more videos for episodes and behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy show. I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.